Once upon a time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, six young men from various backgrounds. A young basketball prodigy with more trophies in the last 20 years than Totten and Hotspur. An Irish kid with a horrible haircut. A young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet. A child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome young man who learned to play football on the hard streets of Disney World. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Ewan. Magic. Aston. Andy, and Miguel, and the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes, their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now, it's gone too far. You, our fans, are at long last witness to season seven 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 welcome to the gooners pod hello and welcome to the gooners pod as usual i am apparently the host of this podcast now aston mac um back with me in the uh, in the studio for the first time in forever i think this is actually the rarest combination on the gooners podcast so you are in for a treat it is your podcaster's favorite podcaster the great the wonderful owen how you doing Oh, that's that's ridiculously complimentary. Um, most people call me an asshole. That's the first ever time I've been introduced like that. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm good. I'm good, buddy. It's uh, obviously trying to bounce back from that uh, defeat about Everton, which I'm sure we're gonna get stuck into. But obviously, other circumstances have sort of relinquished that that pain and hurt, um, as disgusting as the source of that relinquishment uh, was. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you, buddy. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, listen, listen, there's some good news. There's some bad news. We got to talk about a certain club disappearing. Oh, look, sinking ships. Who would have who would have thought um, <laughs> before we get into all of that on a personal level? I mean, again, I said this with Jared. Everybody calls it Magic Mike's mystery tour, but we had other Gooners pod members there, too. How was the visit to London, my friend? Yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliant. I was in and out pretty quick, which is uh, my usual sort of way of doing things but um uh yeah it was fantastic obviously seeing everybody seeing jared who uh came the whole way to Newry in ireland to, to see me which was so it was good to return the favor in terms of putting in some effort to get over and see him obviously mike is always an absolute hoot uh but what a game what an atmosphere do you know i think that that was jared's first game that he caught live which is uh seriously which is an honor to do with anybody um, under normal circumstances, but in, in a game like that with the result and the fashion that, that it was, the atmosphere was just absolutely breathtaking. Um, so, yeah, it made for, for a very memorable uh, weekend. Man, I am. I you. I can't tell you how jealous I am. I mean, that whole stadium, especially not, not only did you get to 
enjoy such a great atmosphere at a great time, but you also got to watch a great game. I mean, I can't even like fathom what that atmosphere was like when Eddie and Ketty scored that goal and just like that, that, that explosion of joy across the Emirates must've been well, un unforgettable. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I tell you the one moment that I, people are probably, probably sick of hearing me saying it at that stage that, that I took away from that game that I've never heard in 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 the Emirates before, which was um, when Marcus Rashford's goal hit the back of the net. That first goal, um, yeah. the Man United fans popped, and within a split second, they were drowned out by the Ar- by the Arsenal crowd. It was it was it was breathtaking. It was literally even the United fans were surprised because I've never seen a goal celebration stop so fast in my life. It was insane. The noise, the noise for that was almost as loud as 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 the Eddie uh, Eddie and Kerry winner. It was a uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I brought this up on the podcast earlier. I was live at FanFest for the NBC coverage for that. And when I when that goal went in, there was dead silence among us. United was cheering a couple. I even saw like two Arsenal uh, uh, fans get up. I don't know if they were leaving or getting food or what was going on. But the point is, is you could hear the Emirates erupt through the, um, the sound system. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of us just turned and started screaming. So... What you were a part of was felt like around the world, which is a crazy thing to think of. I mean, because we're just kicking a ball around, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. But it's a, it's definitely and and something I have to sort of tip my cap to. And I see Jared in the chat, and um, I think that he can join me in this. Is the the Ashburton Army, which people can snigger at and and be snide about and and turn around and say that they are, you know, a bunch of youths that are trying to pretend, be pretend hooligans. But being up close, I think we were a bit two rows behind. Um, behind them uh, in, in in the clock end and it's the closest I've been to them but Jesus they put out some energy and it really reverberates around the stadium they, they don't don't get it twisted they are a massive part of the reason that that atmosphere has been generated at the, at the Emirates this season so um, fair dues to them yeah, I always want to go ahead and give ta- uh, hats off to our fantastic fan base. I mean, all over the world, and the Ashburn Army has been just the spearhead of of a real revolution at Arsenal. Now, I do want to say, hey, everybody in chat, I see you, Jared. I see you, Gunnar Works. I see you, Mark. Uh, the Irish Beast, love, lovely having you here. Always, guys, remember, if you guys could leave us a like to help us grow the channel, it's much appreciated. But only like us if you like us. If you don't, you know, leave a nasty comment or something, especially for Magic Mike. Um, we did have a game. We're, we're talking about all this great energy, but we did have a game, and it was kind of a deflating game. Uh, 1-0 to the Everton. Um, a, a, a result I don't think any of us kind of expected. I mean, Everton, Everton are bottom of the league, um, the on form, the worst team in the league, and, I, and by no small margin either. And yet they were able to hold off the mighty, mighty Arsenal at the top of the league at five points. What have you got to say? Yeah, look, and... Uh, uh... I think when obviously the dismissal of, of Frank Lampard from Everton um, happened and the appointment of, of Sean Dyche conveniently right in time for Arsenal's trip to Goodison all came together. It was really an accumulation of a number of um, unhelpful circumstances for Arsenal to be going there. And um, we all know that uh, Sean Dyche to a certain extent has been not only Arsenal's but a lot of the big sixes. Uh, mm. he's been their kryptonite essentially, and this really was um, a Burnley performance, you know, through and through. Uh, physicality in terms of you know their approach that you can't, you can't, you can't 
um, you know, look away from the fact that their energy levels, their their uh, uh, their willingness to press, uh, their their defensive resilience. It was it was it was brilliant from Everton. But the one thing that I was pretty disappointed about was that this isn't an Arsenal of old. This isn't you know two thousand and seventeen Arsenal that are physically inept to deal with a side like Everton. We have some big boys and 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 players that are very willing to get involved in those types of battles. And there's certain things in football that you can't control. You know, everybody is off days in terms of the way that they move the ball around and uh, the way that they make runs. People have off days and they're humans and that's going to happen. But I was pretty uh, upset at the fact that apart from maybe Gabriel Magalhaes, every single player on that pitch lost their individual physical battle Mm. against Everton. One thing that I did have some issue with was that I think there was almost an overindulgence on behalf of Everton to get involved in those physical battles, even off the ball at times. Um, and I think that the officials not nipping that in the bud early on sort of um, played into their hands of allowing that game plan to flourish. So, look. Yeah, the Zinchenko this, incident comes to mind immediately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, look, it's a disappointing result. There's no getting away from that, but maybe a necessary kick up the ass that we needed at this stage of the season because, obviously, we can discuss in more detail later, but due to other um, results. <laughs> we, we, we got out of this sort of hiccup uh, pretty unscathed. Yeah, every now and then little brother comes through. It's not common. It's not often. You would never bet, bet a house or anything of value on it, but every now and then a little brother comes through. Man, whenever Sean Dice gets in charge of a team, I feel like this is what happens. but um here listen i I do want to dive because you know i am a stats guy you know i love to Mm -hmm. dive into the stats a little bit we've got um arsenal possession 70 to everton's 30 our pass accuracy 85 percent to everton's 68 percent um shots on target on only two to everton's four and and then of course the saves are well we made three saves to there too i think what's more more interesting is here this is the first time i've ever seen a graph like this what this season arsenal by far and away were not anywhere near as creative as everton when it comes to creating chances their chances were better in better positions more um there were more of them and and it for a lot of people, those underlying stats seem really, really worrying when you're fighting an underlying team. Now, when I'm sitting here talking about why did this happen? How, how did we get here, especially against like a relegation side like Everton? I think that you pick something up where I, I think that it's not just that they were losing their physical battles. It's that Arsenal on the day, the individual players were not coming up with creative solutions to problems in front of them. Now, what happened was, from my analysis, Everton went pretty straightforward. They said, we're going to set up in a 4-5-1 in defense. We're going to use our two wide players to double up on your wide player. So we're going to go 2v1 against Martinelli and Saka. And then we're going to man-mark Odegaard. There's not going to be a moment Odegaard breathes on the pitch, which was evident. He actually touched the ball the least out of every player on the uh, on the pitch that night, even including um, Aaron Ramsdale. So that should tell you exactly how not involved Odegaard was. And I think that what ended up happening is we reverted to something that 
Oftentimes, you know, I would almost say City parallels this. You saw this in the game against Tottenham. You see this whenever City lose. Sometimes we just have possession and we don't know what to do with it. A lot of switch balls from one side to the other. Why would you do that? So what? They can go 2v1 against Saka so that you can get the ball passed back to Partey. There was not a lot of creativity in the middle of the field. And it's interesting because I think for let's say the better part of you know a decade we've been very upset that our midfield have been the most supreme technical gifted players that you've ever seen with the creativity literally just oozing out of their pores but we didn't have any steel we didn't have any fight we didn't have any grit any strong men any hard men in the middle to kind of balance that out and we would oftentimes get overrun because of that you know I almost feel like it's the opposite a little bit when I saw the game um, this weekend. When it, Odegaard's not involved, are we very creative? Outside of our front men, are we very creative? And this is something I want to ask you. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, look, I think you completely hit the nail on the head there with um, part of it was just Everton nullifying all our areas of threat. You know, the, you mentioned the, the doubling up on um Martinelli and Saka did notify the wide areas, and then obviously Onana in in central midfield, who was uh, an absolute mammoth of a performance from him. You know there was a lot of Arsenal fans and him as potentially a Casado alternative, and I think mm-hmm. he, he he really didn't let his stock drop any in that performance. Hey, hey, dude, that dude, yeah. that fucker is huge, fantastic, and he um, his attitude, everything was brilliant. But even down to the small details like the pitch. You know anybody watching? And I know um, our good friend uh, Tom Canton was was working the game, and he has made multiple comments on how bad that pitch was. Mm. And uh, I think that if you look at attack and threat, a lot of our a lot of our um, success in an in an attacking sense comes from transition from back to front at rapid pace, smooth mm-hmm. passes from the back, playing out from the back, getting the ball into Thomas Partey, overturning it, and intricate passing. And I even think you started to see a lot of our technical players actually lifting the ball off the ground when they were passing because it was just so bad uh, in terms of trying to link up those those nice on the ball uh, on the ground passes. Um, but listen, these are things that we have to overcome. These are situations that we're we're going to have to find solutions to. And I think that to a certain extent as well, I think that when we look at this game, we can criticize certain players and performances and say that everything was slightly un- underwhelming but I do think that Mikel Arteta had a part to play as well I was relatively disappointed in, in the changes not in terms of who he brought on but where he, where he took them on you know I think that potentially uh, there were too like for like there wasn't enough of variation you know to try and mix things up I think that perhaps leaving Martin Odegaard on the pitch and, and taking Fabio Vieira on in, in place of Granit Xhaka and maybe relinquishing some of the responsibility created, uh, creatively on Martin Odegaard maybe would have freed him up even slightly more because, you know, the, when you have one singular attacking outlet, um, it's very easy to nullify that. Whereas if you have multiple, well, then that, that does changes the playing field for Everton. So, I want to stop you right there. I want to stop you right there because that's an interesting that you brought up because I brought some information that I think kind of speaks to this story a little bit. Now, I am going to be the first to tell you, don't you ever come for my Jaka. If you are not an Arsenal fan, you do not get to talk about Granite Jaka mm-hmm. because I don't care the things that he's done and the ways that he's improved. I Listen, I love him. I love him. I love him. 
But let me show you some stuff real quick. So when we're talking about um, the midfield, right, These, this is showing the best attackers and the ones that are also creating a lot of XG. You see Odegaard up here at the very, very top. Look at where you see Xhaka in the bottom left, right, right there in, uh, right there next to um, Mount and, and Bernardo Silva, who's barely played this, this season. Now, going on, I can show you creativity as well. When you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at this chart, um, you can see that Xhaka, mm, they don't take on, he doesn't take on a lot of players. He does create chances, but you see again, Odegaard, Saka on the top right of that actually doing the underlying statistical work for a team. Now, this is where Xhaka shines is he actually is called like, apparently his greatest strength is always going to be his progressive passing. But here yet again, he's not even close to, to Martin Odegaard again. And this isn't me trying to like nitpick at Jaka or, or say that he's been a flopper. I think he's been incredible this season, but I think that what we're starting to find out is once teams are thought, think to put the, even the most modest eye on him, his attacking threat is nullified. There's not a really a lot that he does in the final third of the pitch. He can pass the ball well, and he can definitely progress you up the pitch. But when we're looking for something in that Everton game, especially when we're entrenched in front of their box for so long, you're thinking, could Vieira give us a little more in that space? Could could um, we put Trossard in, in that space and leave Martinelli on the outside or, or Saka in that space and put Trossard on the wing or something? Because is that maybe a little bit of a dead spot on the pitch for us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is where Mikel Arteta um, fell short uh, during the match. You know, I've seen a lot of players... Uh, talking about that's good time in Jorginho. Uh, I don't think you can really cast too much of Jorginho in that performance. I don't think he was only bad and he definitely wasn't responsible for um, the result. But I think that above all else, um, and I have to say this carefully because it can come across as singling a player out unnecessarily. Mm. Um, and he absolutely doesn't deserve that. But I think, absolutely this, not. I think that this is the type of game that we missed Gabriel Jesus most. These situations were deep block sitting um, very stubbornly back, not really willing to, to break their lines at all and, and being very structured in a sense. And I think that Eddie Nketiah has been absolutely phenomenal. Take nothing away from him. There's no caveat here. It isn't a but with Eddie. He's been brilliant. Gary Jesus brings a certain skill set that Eddie Nketiah just doesn't have um, in terms of drifting out wide. Eddie Nketiah stays relatively central in front of those goalposts and doesn't really um, head towards the bylines, whereas Gabriel Jesus does, and he opens up space for other players in turn from doing that. And I also think that when you look for a player with the ability individually to pull apart a defence, I'm not sure that Eddie's there. Eddie needs that, needs fed, he needs that service. Whereas I think that Gabriel Jesus has the, has the ability to break people down at teams like that as well. But listen, to go through an entire season unbeaten is never going to happen. You know, that's why the Invincibles are held as such high esteem in the footballing world. With a young side, with the competition levels that there is in the Premier League, the quality levels from top to bottom, this is going to happen. We are going to drop more points in this season, but our rivals will also drop points. As um, we've seen this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, actually. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think they get carried away after one defeat um, to a side that have obviously had a big bounce, to a side that were structurally set up to absolutely nullify us. And I think we're relatively lucky to get the goal, maybe that they did as well. Um, things like this happen, and it's about how we bounce back from that, um, not what happened now. So Brantford is obviously massive. So Eddie and Kedia, I think, did get a little bit of shtick in this game. I think another player that got just a little bit of stick was, uh, and, and because of recent performances, has been Gabriel Martinelli. Could you do me a favor for the listeners? Can you go ahead and describe what you're seeing here and and what you think uh, what you think we can do to kind of counteract this issue in the future? Yeah, so obviously this is the the average positions taken up um, from our players from Everton. And one thing that you would say is that it's extremely deep. And I would say as well, for for a Mikel Arteta system, um, something that I am pretty surprised about by that is just how wide our wide men are. We mm. know that the, we know that both these players individually do like to, to make that dart and run um, diagonally across the box quite centrally. But something that Everton did very, very well was keep them wide to a certain extent um but collectively overall you would say that the back line is relatively high up in terms of their average positioning but by god our our, our front three attackers were were being pushed back so far but listen what about martinelli in that situation i mean look at white and Saka. now look at zinchenko and martinelli and doesn't he feel a little isolated yeah, yeah, you could say that, but the 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 caveat to that is when you look at who is playing beside him, and and uh, Zinchenko and and, and Granitxaka both have the ability to make that line split and pass between the centre back and the full back, and arguably that's where Gabriel Martinelli should have been making his runs. But sometimes you just have to turn around and say Seamus Coleman was very very good on the day. <laughs> yeah. he, he handled them well. You know, a player can. Sometimes you just have the there's nothing to decipher or pick apart. Sometimes it was just that his opponent was very very good, and I think that 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 was what happened today. That Seamus Coleman went out with a very well drilled game plan and executed it to perfection. You know, much like Wan Bissaka at Man United. Uh, I think that when Martinelli comes up against a defensively sound player, sometimes that's where he can struggle. Um, but listen, props to Everton. I think that that the as I'm repeating, then they went out with their, their game plan and, and, and they played it to perfection. Do you think Everton are still going down this season or do you think that Sean Dyche is going to be able to save them? No, absolutely not. They're they're, 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 sta- they're staying up um, 100% mm-hmm. with, with Sean Dyche. Uh, uh, I think that the turmoil at Leeds potentially is some, uh, something to play in that, even though they did pick up points um, this evening. I still think that there's more fragile sides and I think that Sean Dyche at what he does is one of the most underrated managers in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. He's the new he's the new big Sam, some would say. How do you yeah. feel about the title though after this? Does this give you any wobbles? Are you feeling the same? Are you feeling a little more nervous? What what are you thinking? Uh I've been absolutely shitting myself since the moment we got ourselves into this position. You know, it's the it's the whole elephant on top of the tree uh situation, but the by fuck the elephants clinging on for dear life. Um but each each week, I tell you, it isn't Arsenal's form that gives me massive confidence. Uh, I think we're in very good form. I think that results like this were always going to come and are probably going to come again. It's the fragility of Man City that is doing mm-hmm. it for me. Now, we're going to go on to discuss, I'm sure, some of the off-the-field stuff that's happening. But on the field, they are 
nowhere near the team that they have been in in the last decade. I would say they're the this is the closest you're ever going to see Man City if things continue the way they are uh, mm-hmm. do a transitional season. And I think that Pep Guardiola knows that. I think that in his press conferences, you can see that see the fear in his face. Um, when he talks about you know the the title race, he knows that this is such an uphill battle. But the one thing I will say is that when you talk about tight races and, and and Man City, everybody's overlooking one thing. We've got one big obstacle in front of us before that, and that's Brantford. And they are in fantastic form. They are they are where they are in merit. They've got very, very good players on a well-drilled side as well. So we can't let Brantford be a banana skin that we slip on without even noticing that it's there. We have to yeah. give that game its, uh, its deserved uh, attention before we start to look on any further past that. So it sounds very, very um, a cliche to say and very, very artel alike, but it's one game at a time at the minute. Let's just keep that going and, and, and see where that takes us. Yeah, I like I like that mentality. Hey, we just we just need to get at least forty points and uh, mm-hmm. one game at a time. Don't worry about it. Everything else, everything else is a bonus. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Um, I, and I th- and and I echo your comment on Brentford just because Brentford are such a well run club. Like I'm actually Brentford, Brighton, and um, there's another club that I I don't know why I can't think of the name off the, off the top of my head. But anyways, Brent, Brentford or Brighton are the two for me that seem like just clubs that I just think the top six could actually learn a lot from. The top six sometimes get a little spoiled from their position. So we expect to be able to go out and get the best players whenever we want. We expect that teams come to us and and expect to be dominated and play within themselves. And and we're going to always have those more fans. And these are things that, that don't, you know, come easy and, and for Brentford and Brighton to be doing what they're doing, being able to, to take on, not only know that they have to compete against these giants. So they make very smart moves in the market. Um, I, I remember when Brentford was down and I think league, one, I think one or two, they actually made the conscious decision. They said, every time we invest in our Academy, Manchester United, Manchester City, and Arsenal come knocking and they take all of our best players. So we're actually just going to try to play some money ball, get a bunch of loan players, and it in and play our way to the top, and then establish an academy. And I'm and it and it's just little choices like that that we don't even have to think about as like a big club, you know, trying to trying to establish yourself. So hats off to them. I think it goes very much under the radar how hard it is to come up from these leagues and to stay in and be be contenders. I mean Everton and, and Newcastle. Uh, Everton, Newcastle, um Southampton well not Newcastle, obviously they got bought out, but um for a time before they got bought out and and um and um, Southampton are teams that I'm like, you guys are going to get a, a huge humbling if you think you guys can go down a league and just bounce right back up. It's a completely different animal down there. So um, speaking of going down a league, <laughs> I think that we might as well talk about the biggest story in football, Manchester City's sinking ship. Now, obviously, um, this week it's come out that the many allegations has come out towards Manchester City for financial doping. Those charges, uh, basically a summary, I do have them in front of me, but to cut through the legalese, they basically have paid, um, we're talking about 
underhanded payments, so payments to players and managers under the table outside of their contract, as in a secret shadow contract, um, sponsorships from sponsors that do not really exist, like shady organizations. That there's a, I think the the famous one is there's this marketing company that literally has like a GoDaddy website, and that's it, and it's clearly owned by the um, the owners of Manchester City, as well as. Um, as well as inflation on uh, inflation and deflation of payments, so lying about the books and uh, on the first place. So those are the allegations. It's been ten years of this. We, we, I mean, we we've been thinking about this since they came into. It. Matter of fact, a lot of us would would. I don't want to put Arsenal's downfall on them. I think we made our own terrible decisions, but if you remember, the Emirates was bought so that we could compete financially. And then in that same at that same period, Chelsea and City came along and go, oh yeah, that's that's not how this is going to work. You don't get to make these sorts of um, investments and have them work out because we're just going to outspend you like crazy. It's not even it's not even going to matter anymore. And and a little bit of that was on us again, foresight being bad bad on us. But at the same time, how many clubs have they trampled underfoot? How many titles have they won using these methods allegedly? Yeah, yeah, and I, look, I think that the thing is, is that we've all been aware of it. That's the thing that this isn't something new. This isn't something you know that when you see those charges being brought forward towards Man City, that you have a gasp of surprise and think, "Holy shit, no way!" I never saw this coming. This is something that's been very, very transparent. I think for for years to come, or, or for for this past few years, but. What I would say is that when you look at uh, the reported influx of revenue from that Man City report, uh, they're they're keeping company with clubs like uh, Man City or sorry Manchester United with Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. You know the 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 massive giants of of, of football in terms of uh, clubs that are followed globally. And the truth is, is that when they're struggling to sell out Wembley for cup finals. They're, they're, they're share of tickets at Wembley for cup finals when they're struggling to fill the Etihad for big Champions League games. When even something as optic as when you're walking around your local town and how many Man City fans do you see? Not many. So for a club like Man City to be saying that their income and revenue um, is anywhere near those other clubs is 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 just insane to me now this is obviously <laughs> this is obviously a, a four-year investigation uh some have questioned the time of this there's been rumors that apparently there's been a push for an independent regulator to take over for the premier league in, mm. in terms of regulating it um, and some would say that this is potentially the premier league trying to flex its muscles and say that we can handle our own affairs either way I'm delighted. I'm delighted that this is being brought up because I personally, even Arsenal included in this, the money that's being thrown around for players in terms of uh, transfer fees for contracts, it's it's filth. It's absolute filth. I despise the amount of money that's being spent in the game nowadays. I despise the player power that people have. I feel like it's um, sucking out the relatability that made football the beautiful game that it is in terms of in the early days. You know, it was a, a, a working man's game not to try and narrow. <laughs> I'm not being exclusive there when I say that, but just in terms of relatability to it. But uh, the problem is now, I think that the Premier League have brought this to light. To me, in my mind, they must have 
extremely damning evidence that 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 Man City have been tampering and burning, you know, cooking their books to a certain extent. But the problem that they put themselves in now is that if they throw the kitchen sink at a club like Man City, there's other clubs here as well. Clubs like um, Chelsea, obviously, who have been, you know, spent more in two transfer windows than Brentford have spent on players in their entire club's history. <laughs> just, to, just to put that into perspective. So it's going to have a knock-on effect. Now, this isn't going to be obviously a quick fix. I think I've seen... Um, a report from, uh, pardon me, but uh, I can't remember the guy who who broke this, Martin Zagler, maybe or something like that. But he mm. says that the, the timeline is a, could potentially be two to four years before we see a, re, a, a revolution for this. But the knock-on effect is going to be massive. Could change change the landscape of football. But for me, this is an opportunity to change the landscape of football for for the better because I personally don't think, and people could criticize the R owners for this, but I personally don't think that Arsenal are the type of club that even want to be spending. 50 and 60 and 70 million on players we see the the standoffishness that arsenal want to go for these massive money players and to me that's why i respect it because i would rather come second morally than than come first as a hypocrite and and for me for me that's that that's why i have been relatively calm in terms of missing out on on a lot of the players that we have yeah, I think I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. One of the things that often gets lobbied at me, and, it, and maybe it's a generational thing, maybe it's just a you're a plastic fan kind of thing, but it's often lobbied like if this happened to Arsenal, you would be so like, – like if the the – oil money came into Arsenal, if we got one of the the corrupt billionaires, and let me tell you, okay, if you guys haven't checked out my other Twitter, my non-sports Twitter, you can just, I, I have certain opinions about billionaires, okay, so I'm not saying that our billionaires are great or anything like that but there are thresholds to harm right and and i would never be comfortable taking that sort of money now there are a lot of elements uh to this thing going on like you were pointing out the fact that the independent regulator was going to be forced onto the premier league and it's an idea that maybe just maybe they're using man city as a scapegoat in order to show that the premier league can regulate itself it sometimes it does feel a little bit like this uh, for those of you that are watching, this is the implications that maybe, you know, I'm not trying to say it, but it is strange to me that Man City is getting called out for this, which they rightfully should. Do do not mince my words here. I want Man City held accountable. I think they need to be kicked out of the league and their title stripped from them. That's my personal take. I don't think anything less than that is reasonable. But so does Chelsea. So do a lot of these different deals that we have known are going on. And if we're going to start nailing people for secret money given to managers, I bet you that's a much larger can of worms than just Manchester City or or even or even Chelsea for that matter. I think you'd probably you might find some payments have been gone through between some of the I, I look at the revolving door at Manchester United and I know that we say, okay, maybe they did it the right way, but do we know? Are we even looking? And those are and those are the sorts of things. Obviously, this extends internationally to the PSGs out there, to some of the ways, the shady ways that Barcelona and Real Madrid have gotten players. And I just think that sometimes we need to take a pause and you know just sit around and go like, what the what are we doing? What are, what are we going on here? Is this about making football better? 
Is this still about making football better? Is this about making this sport better? Because last I checked, last I checked, we pilfer all the best players from all the up and coming leagues so that they have absolutely bare talent. And if you're lucky enough to hit that lottery, then you can have a great career. But besides that, we are doing nothing for these lower leagues all around the world, not just in England, but even around or around the world. What about we, we take all these players from South, uh, South America. When was the last time we financially benefited any of their leagues or any of the institutions that build those players for us? You know, you look at where Alexa, you remember that documentary we had on Alexis Sanchez, look at where he came from and where he's living. And we got one of the best players, probably the best player that year in the Premier League. And we've done nothing to uplift the place that he came from. Say, hey, you did us a favor. You gave us this great talent. Why don't we do something for you? And I think that that's where you go to the working man's thing. That's why this feels so strange. This feels kind of like the Super League where we're just kind of like sitting on our hands a bit. But we, we all know there's something just morally wrong here. We're just all afraid to say it. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, and I think all your points are definitely uh, on point. But what I would say is that I think the reason everybody has maybe a sense of apprehension and, and lack of willingness to really get too carried away with this is is that uh, this could, re- you know, you're looking you're looking at this and you're saying that this is a group of unethical people mm-hmm. who own a football club. Let, let, let's not push this on to Man City fans because. No. Nothing, nothing to do with that whatsoever, you know. But then you look at the Premier League. Do you trust the Premier League and their board to be ethical and to do the right thing by the fans? I'm not sure that I would put my trust in them to, to do very much whatsoever because by rights, should titles be stripped and stuff, look, that's a, there's a massive knock-on effect. I think that that's really difficult to get into. But in terms of what should happen, you look at Juventus, you know, teams like that. You look at Derby as well. There's only one outcome if these charges are are, are are proven. You know, they're only alleged at the minute, but if they are proven, the City have to go down. They, they just have to. And, and what knock-on effects that has for them is, is less to my concern, but I just want to comment on this. They're saying don't conflate unethical behavior with rule breaking. This is a common thing that I'm hearing come out about like, okay, why are we going after City and we're not going after, say, for example, Chelsea? And my thing that I want to say to that is, do you really think Chelsea isn't breaking the rules? Do you really think that if we did the same level of investigation to Chelsea, that we wouldn't find just as much scrutiny over their books? They came from Roman Abramovich is an uh, is not only just corrupt oil money; he's an oligarch that's connected with the corrupt Russian government. Do you think that his money's legit? But even but even if you even if you strip back Aston, even to take it away from maybe the 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 source of the money or the or the people that are holding the money, but even if you talk mm-hmm. about that, what Felix has mentioned there, which look is a is a valid point to bring up. Uh, no, I agree. But, I but, agree. But, I, I but, see where he's coming from. But but what I would say is that do you consider it unethical to take these smaller clubs who are trying to abide by the rules, put the money mm-hmm. into their club correctly? climb the legs, get to the point and and conventionally build their team up to be where you are while you're cooking your books to keep them down in the depths of the leagues. I, I'm not sure that that's ethical whatsoever and you're doing it with cloaks and daggers. That, 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 that That's my... You look at teams like you just mentioned, the perfect football club, in my opinion, at the minute is, is Brighton. 
you know, you know, the, the, the way of Brighton are, are, are operating is absolutely spot on. And I think that for a club like Man City to cook their books and, and as I said, do things the way they're doing it to keep clubs like that down, that can be classes and ethical, in my opinion. That's more than breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And you brought up that, you know, there's evidence that's being, um, you know, w- w- there has to be a lot of evidence here. And we've started to see these um, new leaks, these new emails that are coming out that are incredibly damning. Wait, what's that? I'm, I'm hearing so. Wait, breaking news. It looks like the informant that leaked the emails has been revealed. It was Arteta all along. <laughs> Agent Arteta, you love to see it. No, but seriously, um, what's go- for those of you that don't understand the joke, what's going on over at City is they actually have some incredibly damning emails. In those emails, there's statements of, hey, say whatever, and they're going to get the spot, um, put whatever value you need down, and the sponsor will pay that. For those of you that understand how sponsorship works, sponsors do not give you a blank check and like have you, you know, sign off checks to whatever value it is. Sponsors give you a set of amount of money and you create your budget from that money. Having this in the date of this email is incredibly important because this was after the contracts were signed. This means that there's again, more and less money. Not, not only is that lying about the books, um, lying about the money that you're receiving from the sponsorship, but it's also kind of shows you that the sponsorship in itself wasn't created in the interest of the sponsor like no sponsor is just going to give you hey i'm going to give you a blank check to do with whatever you want because i just believe in your product so much like that said no businessman ever in his life you know what i mean so there's a lot of this is this is crazy now i want to ask you what do you think should happen like what, what? What do you see the ripple effects? Like what? Sh- we were just talking about should league titles be taken away? Should it be a fine? Should it be a transfer ban? Should they get relegated? Should they get dissolved? How, how do you? How do you? What do you want to happen? And then what do you think is going to happen? Um, look, I, 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 I've sort of loosely touched on it, but I think that the stripping of titles and the awarding of titles and league positions and stuff like that it's 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 too complex i think because there's such a knock-on effect you know teams will turn around and say yeah okay well man united came second in this season and liverpool came second take the title off city and give it to that but what about the people that missed out on top four and what about the teams that were relegated due to a three-point difference that they lost the game to man city the, the knock-on effect is huge so i think that's going to be too complex to do and mm. out of the realms of reality in my opinion um, I think that what I would like to see happen is automatic relegation. Is <clears throat> what I what what I think should should happen. What do I think will happen? I don't think that they'll do that. Uh, I I don't as I mentioned earlier. I don't have faith in the Premier League to to make a decision like that. I think that Man City is too much of an attraction to them in terms of a football and brand at the minute. Even though that brand will be tarnished after whatever punishment is dished out. I think the most likely outcome is probably that Man City will get a hefty fine and start whatever the season after the judgment is with with some level of points deduction, whether that be ten or fifteen or whatever. Um, but for me as well, uh, let's forget about Arsenal for a second. Let's just talk about football in general. Putting the getting this under wraps for me is is one of the most important things. We're looking at players now like. 
Uh, Mihailo Mudrik, who had played uh, less than a season's worth of senior appearances, moving for £100 mm-hmm. million. Pounds. Moise Casado getting bids rejected for £80 million. We're looking at Anthony moving for £80 million, Harry Maguire moving for £80 million. It's, it's, I think it's truly disgusting, the, the, the level of money that's being exchanged for, for, for players now. And that's from teams like, like Man City, like Chelsea, like United. You know, bumming the the market up uh, to uh, to an extent where teams just can't compete anymore. So, Owen, Owen, I want to I want to say I want to say this, and I and I and I and I hope you can appreciate this. Understand that with the amount of money that the Premier League has spent on players this season, even just like say the the ones that you've named, you probably could have ended hunger in England. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's disgusting. And look, you have to put it under perspective. There's obviously supply and demand and you can't completely yeah. expect, you know, footballers to earn, you know, minimum wage or the same as someone stacking shelves in Tesco's or that's just not what happens. You know, they're gonna be yeah, well hundred percent. But it's the frequency at which which the, those levels of money are being spent. I remember um Fernando Torres, who was one of the most decorated strikers in European football, moving to Chelsea for fifty million, and people were like, "Jesus, fifty million quid!" Whereas now, that's that's that that's couch change, you know, the, for 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 football clubs now to be thrown about. I think all you have to do is look at around other leagues in Europe, like the Bundesliga, like La Liga, like Serie A, and look at the levels of money that they spend on players in comparison to the Premier League. We are literally flooding Europe with our money. And not taking much of a back in, so <laughs> this isn't a footballing problem. I think this is an English footballing problem more than anything. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I like how you put that because I think that of the teams that you can say that participate in that kind of tomfoolery that the Premier League kind of participates in, they're kind of forced into that to that position. I remember years and years ago. I, this might have been even been a decade decade ago now. Um, it might have been the old Barca president or it might have been Real Madrid. One of the two just came out and said, well, that's how much money you have to spend when you're competing against the enemy. And they said the enemy was England at that time. And I think that oftentimes, like, yeah, it, it, you know, it, paying $80 million for for Antony doesn't just raise the price for Arsenal. It raises the price for Barcelona. It raises the price for Bayern Munich. It raises the price for PSG. Granted, and I think that the reason why a lot of the financial situations that, for example, Barcelona and Real Madrid are in right now are a result of them trying to keep up with something that they just can't. Uh, eventually, and we knew this, again, by the way, I want to say that nobody didn't see this coming. We said all of these things when the Premier League fi- uh, signed its first billion dollar tv rights deal all of us were like whoa what's going on here and we saw how much we're like okay in about five years you're going to have teams that are so well funded so much money that that they're going to be able to they they, they're going to outspend like think about it like wolves outspent real madrid nottingham forest outspent bayern munich like these are teams that are at the bottom of our table and they're outspending teams that have been the decorated champions for, for years. And you wonder why those leagues are one horse races because that's the only way that they feel that they can compete. So there's a huge knock on, and there's a huge question on, is this money helping or hurting the football? Are we getting a better product 
because of the way that we're investing this money and choosing to spend in the ways that we are. I would argue that I do think the Premier League is incredibly entertaining, and I do think it's an incredibly competitive, but I don't know if it's necessarily, is this Premier League better than it was back in the 90s when there was less money? I don't know. Um, see, I'd say in modern days as well is that even though you do have this mammoth of a club like Man City there and, and the money that Newcastle may have and potentially, you know, that Man United may have if a takeover does happen. But I think that the, the, the money in, in the English game in terms of TV rights and the distribution of that money actually has the Premier League. Um, the, there was more of a vacuum at the top, in my opinion. Back in the day, at Arsenal, you had United, maybe Liverpool, but then Chelsea obviously got bought in and stuff like that. But down at the bottom, there was less money. But we're even, as you said, seeing teams like like Wolves outspend and Real Madrid. You know, so the money from top to bottom is is heavy. But <clears throat> I think um, what ramifications can this have on City in the short term? Well, this investigation, as we said, may take two to four years do you think that maybe a player a player like kevin de bruyne is going to want to hang his uh, hat on the man city door anymore and, and 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 be there for the rest of his career do you think that players like jude banningham may consider signing do you think play, uh, coaches like pep guardiola is going to want to stay there and maybe potentially tarnish the remainder of the peak years of his career there i'm not sure so mm-hmm. this whilst may not have an immediate impact in terms of charges and 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 punishments being dealt may have some serious ramifications in terms of uh, the, the 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 people that are there um, at the club at the minute not wanting to be there for very much longer yeah this is the race for holland uh when they go down uh, <laughs> and you, you know what's funny about that i think somebody brought up bully too and i've got one for bully as well do what you must i've already won um but yeah i I do think that that is those are the two i think most interesting implications to them going down not only obviously i I don't think i I want people to understand that a it's not if you're looking for a 15 point deduction to happen this season it's not it's not and i i wouldn't want to win the title that way anyway and if you think that because they may strip um um, city of their titles that Manchester United, for example, gets that title in 2012. That's also not how it's going to work. There's just going to be an asterisk next to their title. It's too complicated for us to go back, like you were saying, and, and award those things. So the things that are interesting and realistic are actually um, are actually the players, like where the players going to where the players going to go where's the manager going to go those are the two interesting things does pep guardiola continue after this does he go on to brazil does he return to barcelona as, as he's kind of hinted at does he does he try does he try to oust arteta never going to happen um do is there a player out of that group like, like, like let's play, let's pretend like you know magic happens we wave our magic wand we get to everybody gets to pick one city player arsenal because we're top of the league and we received the most banter of the last decade gets the first round pick who are you taking um that's that's a difficult one really really difficult uh i'm gonna go for a really left field one here yeah a real left field one but uh rico lewis um, a young defender because I think that that role that Zinchenko plays 
it's very very difficult to get the attributes that he has to play that position they're very rare and a player that can can do that and to me he seems like somebody with those uh capabilities mm-hmm. also Man City are surprisingly old. <laughs> yeah. When you look around their squad, their 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 age demographic in that squad is quite high. So for me, he's somebody that will retain value probably more than most. Um, and somebody with a really high ceiling. I think a lot of players there are probably at their peak at the minute. But he's one that I would maybe look at. Yeah, yeah, I could see Rico. I could see Rico Lewis. I would go for a midfielder, actually. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, as you know, despite his baby face, is thirty-one. So I actually wouldn't go for that. Rodri is a really good shout. Um, Bernardo Silva is another one. I think. I think those would have to be the the two that I would really be looking at. But for the first time in a long time, I'm not super interested. I mean, Holland. I guess I. You, you take Holland. I, I guess that's the right answer. But, you know, I'm not even as interested in him, the way that he's kind of deformed their team. Um, all right, so last question on this, because I think that we're all going to wrap. We do have Brentford coming up on the weekend. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, do you think that this is going to have any bearing on the title race at all? Do you think that maybe this is going to be the thing that kind of is the last nail in the coffin? We were already talking about City being a team in transition. Uh, we saw we saw the fallout with Cancelo. There's work that there's other fallouts happening behind the scenes. Is this the thing that's going to make it so that we won't see City put together one of those epic 10-game run uh, win streaks that we're, we're accustomed to at this part of the season? Um, potentially, but it could also potentially do the complete opposite and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, so and, and, and galvanize them. The only thing that I would say to give me some confidence that that won't happen is that I'm pretty sure that... Uh, the city squad and and Pep would have been aware that this news was was coming out beforehand. Maybe that's why we're seeing them, you know, stutter so much in in the league this season. Um, but listen, I think that I don't know. I said this earlier. It was such a cliche thing. The main thing for this Arsenal side is to drown out the outside noise. Let's forget about what City are doing. Um, Brantford are a team in very, very good form with uh, a striker that is fine in the back of the net consistently that that likes to get a goal against us. We know the history we have with Ivan Tony, the nice kickabout shit that went on. Is he playing? Um, Isn't he banned? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's still. I think he's still playing. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of animosity between us and them. So uh, I'll only worry about City on the fifteenth. That's when I worry about City. Uh, it's going to be arguably the biggest game that we've potentially played in in the Premier League era since since uh, league titles have been won, um, and it's going to be absolutely huge. But l- listen, these charges, I don't think they, put it like this: we're going to forget about this entire city with Ma- uh, this situation with Man City and and their finances long before we'll ever hear the outcome of them. Um, this is something that's going to be. Uh, forgotten about relatively quickly i think and and everybody will just get back into football yeah i i think that uh i I think that you're i think that you're about right i i do want to say like this is why you're the alpha wolf okay what a chat i I don't worry about city until we play them what a chat 
what what an absolute boss like he just like 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 owen comes in here he goes oh i there are other teams in the league i i don't think about them and you know it's, i just worry about what we do you know i don't city small club um <laughs> I, I do want to ask you one final question in case i don't see you until after the game coming mm-hmm. right, come, comes up on the weekend uh do you make any changes and what's your prediction for the scoreline yeah, well, this is a, a, it's a situation that I don't really um, envy Mikel Arteta for because this is a, a, a part of the season that rotation is going to be necessary regardless of form. You know, people talking about um, uh, Gabriel Martinelli potentially being a little bit off the pace and, and, and Ben White as well, then, you know, being surpassed by Tommy Asu. But regardless of the reason why rotation is going to be necessary for me, um, we've obviously as we've talked about plenty with that big game against City so I think that we may see Trossard may see Tommy Asu come in but this is the beauty of having the depth that we do now have is that it doesn't panic me anymore you know Gabriel Martinelli getting a rest may be good for him but we've got Trossard there you know we've got Jorginho now who's very capable and has a, a track record of proving that he's capable of, of of playing in the midfield in the Premier League so these are all the good things I think and um, uh I, I, it isn't that it, uh, it was an alpha thing about the city thing. It was more the fact that I shit myself a lot with games, and I think that I'm terrified of Brantford, as stupid as that may be, with the form that we're in. I just get very nervous. But I do think that uh, we'll be able to prove a point after that Everton game, and I'm going to go for a three-one win. And I think that Martin Odegaard is going to, I think, play a pivotal part in that because he, he was questioned in that Everton game, and I think he's going to come up with a few answers. <laughs> yeah, it, it, is it uh, confidence or is it PTSD? You you be you decide at home. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to be the show. We um, I like to end the show with a meme, so we're going to do this and we're out. London, everybody. I'm Kate Abdo, joined by the Champions League winner with Barcelona, Thierry Henry. <laughs> Champions League winner with Liverpool, Jamie Carragher, and the man with five appearances in the Champions League. <laughs> that's welcome. <laughs> <laughs> TGP out. Watching the Gooners Podcast, a production of TGP Media, a wholly on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution according to the historical tenets of bird law. Make sure to check out the Gooners podcast, Patreon, at patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners v. Cancer at goonersvcancer.com. And don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk, as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that Tottenham get better everywhere they go. TGP out.